Go babe. Filmmakers and photographers Drinking coffee and talking shit Welcome to Filmmakers and Photographers Drinking Coffee and Talking Shit. In this podcast, you'll hear insights and stories from four guys and maybe an occasional guest who have all come to the craft of visual media from very different starting points. I'm your host, Matt Rickman. I am Sean Letty. Oh, I'm Chris Bell. And I'm Randy Fitzadmire. In this episode, we're going to talk about the art side of what we do. We'll drink a little coffee and we'll talk a little shit. So listen, guys, <clears throat> we've all had inspirations some of them have been photographers and filmmakers, and some of them have been outside of photography and filmmaking. So what photographers or filmmakers inspire you? Like, where do you go to get inspiration right now? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a place where I go for inspiration regularly. Um, and I think we kind of pre-podcast talked about the music angle, but... Um, I am a music buff. Music was my first artistic expression before I was a designer, before I was a photographer, before I ever picked up a camera. Um, and uh, so when you mix those two things, you get like music videos, right? And I've always loved a good music video. And a good music video can sometimes just be a stylistic visualization of the artist. It doesn't have to necessarily have a story. Sometimes it does. Um, but a really good um, music video director who made an impact on me from a visual standpoint early on was Floria Sigismonti. Um, she directed The Beautiful People, Marilyn Manson music video. She directed The Tourniquet, Marilyn Manson music video. Very dark, very glitchy, very weird, abstract um, sketchy, scary kind of visuals. And she just had a really awesome way of, of bringing almost performance art into these pieces, which obviously Marilyn Manson, prime candidate for that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, when I'm going to make a piece now, um, music almost always comes first for a piece. Like, I, before I start an edit, I kind of want to know what it's going to sound like before. I mean, I have all the clips and stuff, but that's going to dictate my, from an artistic approach, how I, you know, it's a character. It's a character in your piece. So, um, yeah, now I'll give it over to Chris. Yeah, no, <clears throat> I'm with you. Wise words there, young man. Um, definitely, I think music is – that's an inspirational point for me when I'm working on a project because it's going to dictate so many things about how you're going to move ahead with, with a project, whether it be, you know, something – a straightforward industrial piece uh, to something – that might be a community piece that's much more engaging emotionally and, uh, you know, a lot more aspects to it. Um, but for me, I, I like to go to uh, very commonplace Vimeo staff picks, uh, oh, peruse yeah. that. I mean, just the variety of, of uh, programming to get inspiration on, to check out things, catch a technique that you're just like going, how in the hell did they do that? You know, how can I replicate that? So... That's always been a go-to source for me because I'm a video production person. So I want to see motion graphics. I want to see kick-ass production. Um, of course, storytelling is is always uh, amazing. But uh, so that's 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 a, that's a great place for me. How about you, Randy? I, I I would agree with the whole music scene, but I, I like to you know get inspired by all different places. From you know being a very visual person, I like documentaries and the latest 
cool one that I've been getting into is one called Abstract on mm-hmm. Netflix. Um, just saw one on an artist who did a lot of work for the New Yorker, uh, you know, covers for him, um, and all super inspiring. Um, but all the way to, I just saw a relatively new show. It's called The ABC Murders. Um, saw it on Amazon Prime. And I think they've made like three or four of them so far. But I thought, I'm, I'm very into, you know, coming from the still photography background and getting into motion. Um, I'm very into high production value and lighting. And, and then I watched all three of them in a row. And every single scene, every shot would stand on its own as a still photograph on its own merit. I thought it was so good. I actually looked up the DP and, and, and emailed them. That night. Tell the listeners at home what DP means. Right? Director of photography. There you go. And that's a oh. term. I, that's a term I oh. would not have okay. known, however long ago. No, Sean thought it was something else. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh boy. And, <laughs> Ouch. Damn millennials. But anyways. <laughs> and he actually, and I looked him up on the IBDM website, and you know, Is that fun, what I think it means. Oh no, that. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I thought we were still. Might be, <laughs> and and got his website <laughs> and emailed him. He, he actually emailed me back at one thirty in the morning. Wow. He's from it's produced in England, and to to thank me for the kind comments. Wow, that's cool. I thought that was pretty cool. That's always that's a cool moment cool. where you yeah. reach out to someone semi-famous and you get any yeah. sort of contact. And, and I've never back. done that before. And he's, you know, it's a new series and takes place in England. And I was just like, wow, this is. Very inspiring to me, and the, uh, this is so top shelf. And, and, and then that he more than most Hollywood movies, yeah. And, and that the is, fact, yeah, yeah, he's a real person, and mm-hmm. and you could have a connection to him, and yeah. that, yeah. And and that, I think I told him to thank his crew because it's not it's it's a team sport. Oh, for sure, totally, for sure. What about you, Matt? For me, it's interesting, and this might get a little deep, frou frouy bullshit, but um, you know, I've I've been really focusing on trying to just live my life being grateful, you know, every day being grateful for the, the work I get to do that, you know, that I've got a truck that takes me around to my office and gets me around places and that I have children that are healthy and all that. And, and as the more I've opened up my mind and my heart maybe to being grateful and having gratitude, it feels like the more inspiration pours in. So it's like everywhere I look, there's very rarely a day that doesn't go by that I just get that feeling of like inspiration from whether it's, um, you know, music um, and exploring new music. Um, but r- r- quite recently, I watched a, 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 a little documentary on YouTube um, about this photographer named Fan Ho, who was a uh, Korean photographer in the 50s and 60s, a street photographer. You know, so I get inspired by that kind of stuff. I love good street photography, and especially when there's so much bad street photography out there, of which I've contributed to. Um, <laughs> but, you know, looking at work, you know, from these guys back in the 50s and 60s, and things how difficult. I mean, it's difficult to do street photography well now with digital cameras that are super fast. Imagine back in the days of film with cameras that were slow, and, you know, you really had to know your stuff. And to me, that's that's extremely... I'm about the Leica rangefinders, but Matt... Yeah. But you know, I don't think Sean would know what that was. <laughs> yeah. No, he doesn't. Is that a know band, the Leica Rangefinders? <laughs> Leica <laughs> and the Rangefinders tonight <laughs> at the summit. So then, fast forward to YouTube, you know, and I and I, I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube, and there's guys out there just doing kick ass, awesome video work. 
um, Matty Hapoja, I think is how you say his name, um, or Peter McKinnon, or um, I got burnt out on Casey Neistat. Um, but, but sorry, Casey Neistat, even some of this stuff, um, we're going to lose listeners because of that statement. Um, we don't want them anyway. We (laughs) we can't lose anybody. (laughs) Negative two followers. How did that happen? (laughs) Chris isn't listening to it now. People are actually paying to not listen to it. Like, can I never have this come up? Um, and then, you know, most recently I'll wrap it up with, um, you know, Sean and I were fortunate enough last year to go to the Adobe Max Con, Mm. uh, Con, Con, conference. Adobe Con. Adobe Con. Coming 2020. Um, And there was this portrait photographer there, uh, Chris Orwig, um, that was just fucking incredible. And, um, you know, just him talking about his process and being so open to share basically his secret recipe. And I think that I'll sum it up with is my most inspirational thing is that the number of people out there who aren't, you know, holding on to their ideas, but they're out there sharing them with the world, people that are producing content, putting it out for free on YouTube. Um, that every day is inspirational. There's two things that I want to touch on from what you said, Matt. The first one, I'm going to go a little froofy, froofy, emotional. And I think, you know, our, our, our business can be a tough business sometimes, right? Um, we talk about shoots where you only get one chance to capture something and then you realize there's no memory card in the camera or something and you beat yourself up for these mistakes that you feel like you shouldn't be making. I recently had a shoot like that. Um, but the thing that I, I want to circle back to is your uh, – your notion of trying to live with the with focus on what you're grateful for right Mm -hmm. that's something that i think you you sometimes you fall out of that you need to be reminded of that um so for all you listeners out there i know i say that a lot and i'm talking to about maybe one and a half people um but uh take the reminder and when the going gets tough be grateful for what's going right and what you do have Mm -hmm. because that sometimes you need that adjustment um the other thing i was going to talk about was um yeah, like the sharing of ideas or like the behind mm-hmm. the scenes, right? Um, you know, it's interesting because one of my favorite things, going back to music, to, one of my favorite things to watch is bands in the recording studio because when you hear something on a record, you know it's been produced, edited, polished, auto-tuned, you know, the guitar was retuned before every take. So it's absolutely under the microscope perfect, as perfect mm-hmm. as they're going to get it. But when you see them in the studio tracking the guitar and messing up and doing it again, or you hear the vocalist and all you hear is just a little bit of that track in his headphones and you hear the raw vocal in a vocal booth, there's something, or even documentaries about like, you know, a band rehearsing to go on tour. There's something so cool about like the what's going on behind the scenes take on something. Um, and there's not really a big market or there's not really a big um, offering for that on on Hulu or Netflix or anything like that. Like they have a lot of content that they're pushing out. A lot of it's original um, scripted programming, but what you don't see is a lot of that like, hey, we're going to go behind the scenes, you know, with this band as they record their record or whatever. And I think there's a whole market of people who would salivate over a series of Netflix shows or Hulu shows about like, bands recording records or going on tour or practicing for a big show or, you know, something like that. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see as, as the content landscape starts to become bigger and more important and networks and, you know, uh, streaming video platforms are competing with each other for content. What sort of new ideas are they going to come up with? Like, well, we've never explored, you know, uh, garbage men. Let's follow garbage men. Have you ever seen? It's kind of like the Alaska fishing shows, you know, the whatever it's deadliest catch. It's a world you wouldn't normally have access to that gives you this morbid curiosity. And I think they're going to start tapping into different levels of that. Have have you looked into the uh, company and app Cinnabody? 
No. Check that out. Cool. Cinnabody. I don't know if I could explain it well enough as they can, but I I just saw a little video about where, let's say, um, you know, a very famous band would um, hire this company. People would, and they, they would, people would log on to this app. Everybody that goes to the concert behind the scenes, the band themselves with their cell phones uh, uploading content and then it gets mixed together into edited video. It's super I cool. actually I did actually see and this maybe could be saved for a geeky tech shit, but I'll touch on it now. There was an app, um, I think it maybe came across my eyes because of the Media Insights Conference, perhaps. But there was an app where basically what they are trying to do is, you know, like when you go to a wedding and it's like, oh, you know, log on here to post your picture so Mm -hmm. everybody can share the pictures they took at the wedding. Well, it's kind of like the same thing, but for video with iPhones and, and stuff. So you can assign people to be shooters for your project. And they go out and they shoot. So it could be, like you said, I got five people out at a festival. One of them's going to be at the beverage place. One of them's going to be behind the stage. And then all the videos get uploaded to this, like, single place. So it's kind of like a contribution, uh, you know, whatever, crowd sharing sort of um, thing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And that kind of leads into the concept of – AI filmmaking, basically, Ooh, yeah. where they no. would take all this stuff from people and then the computer it. would basically know how to stitch together a story. I, I just saw like, something very scary on LinkedIn the other day where a video was playing and um, I'm trying to think of the name of the famous actress that was just speaking um, at a podium to like, you know, like an award ceremony. They won something in AI stitch Steve Buscemi's, sure, Buscemi's face yeah, the onto her. Fix. Unbelievable. Oh, the deep fake, yeah. Aut- and it was just automatically. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. I don't believe spooky. for a second that it was that that was the first time Randy saw that. We all know where deep fakes originated. But. Ooh, yes. Uh-huh. Back Starts to with the- a P and ends with orn, <laughs> rhymes with corn. <laughs> Cornhub.com? <laughs> no, um... The other thing, and, I'll, and I don't know if this actually like pertains to any of the topics we're talking about, but I did want to mention it because it is kind of cool. Um, I was going over some interview footage that I shot at the Media Insights Conference uh, in Los Angeles, and one of the people we got to shoot there was um, uh, Kenya Barris, who is the uh, creator and writer for the show Blackish, which is a very successful Netflix series. And one of the things he said about the content, they were talking about what's the future of content. He's like, yeah, I'm really interested in the choose your own adventure kind of stuff. Where's that going to go? But one of the things he learned is like in the olden days when people um, only watched one episode a week or one episode, you know, when it aired, that episode really had to be its own featurette. Well, now with binge watching coming into play, he said the way successful content creators are, are thinking about their shows is not as a, you know, individual episodes, but as an entire episode f- for a whole season. So they're thinking of a season as like a body of work that if you watch the whole thing in one night, would you feel good about that season? Not mm-hmm. necessarily each episode because it's the importance of each episode is no longer to get you coming back every week. It's you're going to watch 10 of these things in a night. Well, do you, you feel good about all 10? But you know, you know, I mean, those programs have to, they do need to pull that audience back in because I mean, there's been numerous shows I've got to the 
fourth or fifth one and just go, I'm done. Yeah. You know, I'm done with this. You know, it's and so well, I have you heard I've, people say, oh, hang in there. It gets better. <laughs> have you heard that one? I right? have. You know, and, and, and I think and now that's not to say that each episode shouldn't be awesome and have its own merits and stuff. But I think well, sure. collectively what they're seeing is that the binge watching behavior is is altering how people think about. There's the way they storytell. I think the there's way some truth that, to that. Oh, yeah. And it's sure. cool. It's cool yeah. to hear that from a guy who, who's producing conflict. Or, yeah, know, my, I guess Netflix, my point is, know? yeah, it's going to be awesome. You know, it's going to be gorgeous, sound great, everything. But I think you got to get back to that old storytelling thing. Yeah. Every episode's got to have that beginning, middle, and end, some kind of resolution or something. There no, that, it doesn't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you know, it's that's the basics of drama. Yeah. You're just going to go, okay, you know, I'm done with this. These, where are these characters but going? Season seven. Why do I care? I know you only have season one, but season seven's work, it's really good. It yeah. all comes together. Yeah. <laughs> Stick with it. doesn't matter how much eye candy you have without the old saying, story that's is right. king. It's got to be solid to begin with. What sort of non-photographic or filmmaking inspiration... Um, have you guys had and and do you have an example of where that's like you know made its way into your work you know chris i mean mm. with the rock art stuff that you do and some of the photography that you've done has there been any you know in, in anything that's outside the realm of photography and filmmaking that's inspired some of that work anybody else oh peyote sure. when he was doing the rock art <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll just uh, keep the fifth to the fifth on that one <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, definitely, I mean, there's, because the story's bigger than anything I'm hoping to capture, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's got, I think, and if you, any, any realm you get into, you know, your own personal project, if there's that aspect to it, you know, you're scratching the surface and there's, you know, there's so much more to, to, to tell there or to inspire you to, uh, to tell your little bit of that, whatever that story is, but um, yeah, I, as far as like filtering through over to my work, um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like, for me, it's, it's, uh, having the opportunity to go do something very different. Mm-hmm. You know, it still could be filmmaking or, or photography, but it's, you know, it's not, it's very different than what I would do professionally. Uh, yeah. I mean, the techniques mm-hmm. are there, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, for but, sure. um, you know, and that's what's attractive to, you know, to do it. Like we've had a, a prior guest, a, a, you know, Rod Stewart, very famous uh, photographer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I totally understood where he was coming from when he said, you know, on the weekends, I, I'm not going to be the guy that's carrying around that camera. You know, I, I work 50-hour uh, weeks. I'm doing photography five, sometimes six days a week. Uh, you know, I'm doing a lot of shooting and editing and things like that. On the weekends, I'm probably doing photography. I'm really not mm-hmm. doing much, you know, filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. How about you, Sean? What inspires you outside of photography and filmmaking yeah. for photography and filmmaking? I mean, you know, I already said music, and that is a big thing. Um, and as you were talking, you know, you said even when I'm doing filmmaking, that's not my work stuff. It's different than yeah. my work stuff. And and I thought about, you know, when we make a music video, like I would say, oh, you know, I don't get to make music videos every day. But actually, you know, I'm about to make my second one in this job, which is interesting to think mm-hmm. about that in the corporate space, I have yeah. the opportunity to make some music videos. But the process is so wholly different about how I would approach a music video 
here for like the needs of, of our, our said client in this case. Um, and like someone outside of work, it would be so much more organic and fun. And like we get out there and we're just screwing around with cameras and, you know, we do the whole song in like one take, yeah. you know what I mean? As opposed to like staging certain shots and things like that. And, and, but I mean, I, it's not anything specifically that like inspires me that comes into my work. I think one of the things that is always kind of inspiring to me is like, um, I like seeing what happens after the work is done, like how people react to it. That for me is always one of those driving forces. So like, um, you know, if I make a music video for a group, right. And then they release that and it gets all these comments and all these likes and shares and people are like, Oh my God, that was such a good video. It's like seeing the result of the work come to life. It it breathes life into the work. There's one thing to make this video and have two people see it and go, yeah, that was cool. It's another thing for it to actually go into the world and have people, have their own reactions to it completely removed from you as the creator of it. They don't know who did it. All they know is I like the song. I like the the style of it, or it Mm -hmm. looked really cool. It made you guys look awesome. Um, And so for me, whether it's design photography is a big one because, you know, people get their family photos back or a portrait of their kid back or whatever. And they give you that reaction. They say, Oh my God, these are beautiful. I love them. Thank you for doing this. You know, those reactions to the work you create, that's very stimulating and motivating for me to want to keep doing the things. And sometimes at the onset of a project where I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to take forever. This is going to be a lot of work. I'm reminded by that's the high I get off of it is once it's done and it's out there and I see people loving it, I go, yeah, that was me. That was I did that, you know, yeah. and that's, that's really cool. So I guess yeah. maybe that's an inspiring thing for me is just people's reaction to the work I create. I, I dig that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's not me personally that they're reacting to. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys ever feel overwhelmed or, um, Yes. <laughs> Daily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, or almost uh, demotivated when you're inspired by things. I know for me, sometimes, you know, you mm-hmm. watch something that's just so yeah. flipping amazing. Yeah. And you'd like to be able to produce work like that. And you probably could, but it's just like, you're like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why even try? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's more so for me, it's, uh, I mean, Filmmaking has, you know, become such a crafted art, uh, you know, and you've, you've almost, it's like you, I think you said, Randy, it's, it's not a solo sport. Photography is a solo sport. And mm-hmm. when these guys go out there, like there's a photographer that I really like, the wildlife photographer, uh, Martin Bailey, and he'll grab this image of like a whale coming out of a school of fish that is just stunning. Mm-hmm. I'm just like going, wow. Um, not only seven do I, hours in the ice cold yes, ocean. Do I know for it, like, as being an amateur <laughs> photo- weekend warrior photographer? I know that guy was out there for the seven hours in a dry suit, and you know, and it just—he was probably out there for a week or longer, yeah. you know, to get that one photograph. So, yeah. I hear what you're saying. You look at that and you go, "Oh my God, how could you know I ever capture something like that?" Uh-huh. And to so. dovetail off of Chris, I I get inspired just by nature itself. Oh, yeah. Just, just spending some time out there and oh, for sure. Sure. pay attention. I mean, the design is doesn't get any better. Well, what's what's hard about well that sometimes too, right? And this goes, it kind of goes back to your thing. You guys ever like looked at a beautiful sunset and been like, God, that's gorgeous. And then you go to take a picture of it and you're like, yeah. why doesn't that look like how I see it? Yeah. You know, like that's another problem. I think you sometimes you get frustrated by being like, so I know what I'm doing. Why doesn't it look like how I'm seeing it's it? It's that 1,000 photographs, though. How or many? Whatever, how many? Right? How many times have you 
before tried to, to do that. Yes. Yeah. But do, no, do you, that's do you also right. ever get pay attention and get inspired by like good interior design? Totally. Good. Yeah. Yes. I love HG. Yeah. Good. Well, I mean. And there's times in your life when you're open to different types of inspiration, I think. So, like, for example, when my wife and I bought our house and we were, like, getting ready to redo it, you know, everything on HGTV, every paint swatch, every house I drove by on the street was, like, the coolest house. And I was like, ooh, I want those shutters and I want that light fixture and I want those curtains. And, like, everything started I, – I was I was receptive to it because I was about to – to do that, you know, yeah. um, oh, and it, I think. Well, you being a designer, have you ever noticed how? Okay, you deal with color every day. Um, and now that's choosing all I can color, <laughs> no, or or color correction of an image or whatnot. But then, on a large scale, go to try to pick a color to paint the exterior of your house. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, totally different thing. Suck. Totally different thing. Picking picking a color. Oh, and yeah. what I what right? I learned is Isn't that, that like a color that it you is. think is way too dark, you get it out in the blazing sun and you're like it's so washed out and then you go and you're like there's no way this is going to look like that pale green. This looks like dark green. Mm-hmm. And then you get it outside and you're like I was or wrong. choose an interior yeah, like, color. It's all about color temperature, what light's hitting it. What uh-huh. it looks absolutely. Like. Yeah. Absolutely. So one one thing on on the sunset that I learned that I, I think is kind of cool. There's a photographer who's based in New York. Um, her name's Katrin Eisman. Um, and I got to see her talk at an event one time. And she talked about that when everyone's looking this way at the sunset, at the yeah. whatever, turn around and look at the other, look the other way. That a lot of times you can get a fantastic photo looking yeah. the opposite way of yeah. what you're supposed to look at, especially with sunsets, because th- think of that golden yeah, light. It's, it's projected it's cast well, at you. I yeah. think some of the most stunning sunset shots I've I've seen have never been looking at the sunset. Correct. They've either looked to one side or the other uh-huh. of the sunset. You know? Especially yeah. because film and digital sensors, whatever it may be, will never have the dynamic range of what your eyes. your eyes have in the and human brain. On the flip side of that is I think they can capture things that we don't see with uh-huh. our eyes. That you too. Know, and you yeah, can manipulate too. a photograph to, to create a scene that, you know, what's real, you know, yeah. you start to get into that argument of real photography and nothing is real. Um, so I oh, think man. that's yeah. amazing. Uh, you just reminded me of, um, so were you with me in that Lightroom session at the, like it was like the last day no. of Adobe Max? So I went to this like, you know, tips and tricks for Lightroom or whatever. And I don't remember the photographer's name, but she was very good. And one of the things she's very notorious Julian for is Cost. like, okay, yes. Mm-hmm. And she does a lot of landscape, a lot of um, iceberg photography. Mm. And all these pictures were just stunningly gorgeous, immaculate, um, just very pristine looking landscapes. And then she pulls up the original. Like she had only, and like this slideshow had been going like ahead of her event, right? And I'm like, God, these are gorgeous. Whoa, that's amazing. God, how'd she get that? And then she shows me the original. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> whoa. She edited out like every little speck of sand to give you this like, wow, the beach was perfectly clean. Well, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But man, the impact, like the photo she took, the normal photo was like, okay. Mm-hmm. That's fine, right? But then when she cleaned it up and did this thing, now the photo, she saw that in camera mm-hmm. with the edits. She knew, oh, I'll get rid of this, get rid of that, and that iceberg is going to pop. Yeah. But with all these distractions, so I think, you know, there's also an art to when you bring Absolutely. in the fake, and but you don't do it just to be like, oh, hey, that iceberg wasn't really there. I edited it in. Yeah. It's like, no, I cleaned up the scene so that what you see is what you're supposed to see. Or, or something. And, and changing, or what I want you to see. Yeah. Yeah. Changing the color palette to draw your eye. And yeah, yeah. Sure. So many ways that you can, again, tell, 
influence the viewer to see what you want them to see, tell the story. So I, I say fake it all day long. Because, yeah, you know, absolutely. Make it. Be, fake it to make it. Fake it till you make <laughs> it. Because they need to, you know. <laughs> that's what I've that's done. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so last last question in this uh, in this part, and this one's this one's kind of difficult. Um, I know I struggled to think of how I would answer this, but it's uh, you know, we get inspired by by so much stuff as we've talked about, um, and I think it's reasonable for us to think that maybe at one point in our careers in our lives we could inspire someone else. And so, if you got to choose what you could be remembered for, what you could be known for, how you could inspire someone else, what your legacy might be. What do you think that would be? That's deep, Chris, Matt. You're, you're getting near the legacy years. So. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a really tough one. I mean, it's, uh, it is kind of presumptuous, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like, I shall be remembered for, you know. You know, I I really don't have a good answer for that just because I think, you know, we're all going to be judged or remembered, you know, uh in in some way and probably in 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 manners that we would go, "Really?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, not a bad way, let's yeah, say. No, but <laughs> surprisingly sure. interesting. I'll, I'll take that on. I I hope it was that I was fun to work with. Yeah. And Clients had a good time. Well, thinking, I had but a good isn't time. Isn't it more like a creative legacy kind of? Is that what you're referring to? Or? Yeah. Like he was the guy that always did those cool portraits, like that kind of a thing. Yeah, or, I mean, it's I could whatever. definitely you get to choose what because I'm the be funnest guy to work with in the world. So I mean, yeah. I, I would I'd jump on that one. I, I, that, that's that's just table stakes for you. <laughs> I, I would I would exactly. go out of the. They don't automatically think I'm the most fun person they've ever worked with. But you have to stay in the art world for that question, right? No, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, choose, choose I, I would, say, I would yeah. say to to be a good dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, I definitely want that. Yeah, I, I worry about that constantly. Every time my kid looks like he's not having the most fun in the world, I'm like, is it yeah. my fault? Am I, <laughs> Am I not it paying t- enough attention to you? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and Matt, Matt has told me, you know, hey, if you're not. Uh, if you're not constantly worried about not doing a good enough job, then you're not being a good That's parent. how you know you're being a good right. parent. Yes, um, Matt wrote the book on that you're not parenting. Um, but I, I think, you know, for the legacy thing, and I'm nowhere near being like, hey, I'm almost ready to hang up my hat, right? Um, but I like to th- think that um, where I really shine as a, as a person on a team or in a project or whatever is like when I'm working with people in the middle of a, of a thing, you know, mm-hmm. so whether that's the songwriting collab we did in Boulder, whether that's me giving people at the nexties, you know, direction on, on, okay, you guys can all walk into the room now. I'm starting my time lapse, you know, like directing people. Um, I am passionate about it. I, I like working with people. I like collaborating. So maybe it's something along those lines. Like, you know, they remembered how they felt, and this is kind of along your your mm-hmm. line of like being fun to work with, but it's more than like just being fun to work with. I think it's like I want people to walk away from working directly with me in mm-hmm. person on a project or a shoot, and they feel like um, either I brought something unique to that experience that someone else couldn't have brought, or um, they felt at ease with the project because because of my involvement with it. Just something along those lines of like. You know, I had some unique spark in the mm-hmm. process that they said, man, that's the letty sauce. You know and, what I mean? Like, and, that's kind of. And I maybe even taking a step further, further in forging friendships sometimes out of mm-hmm. working yeah. with people. Yeah. Well, working with your friends is like 
the epitome. And, and you know gaining I mean? friends, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, if you enjoy the people you're working with, work can be a real breeze, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I think it's, it's the people you meet along the way is what makes it. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the relationship. What it is. Yeah, I never would have guessed 12 years ago I'd be sitting in a room with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine what the next 12 years will bring. Oh, moly. Yeah, for, for me, I don't know. I, I, I guess I hope um, that someday I can create something that will give that feeling in someone else the same feeling I've had, like when you're getting sucked into a good movie and you're like, I don't want this to ever end. Mm-hmm. You know, when you hear, you know, a, a song lyric – or a guitar riff or whatever that you're just like, it just, it just warms you up on the inside and you just have that, that feeling. I hope maybe, maybe I can create one thing that'll do that for one person. <laughs> but to Chris's point, you'll probably never know. Yeah. And you, you don't know what, you know, what legacy you leave, you know, and, and I think that's well, just that's, the you know, in that really what life we run into this all the time. We, you know, we talk to someone over the phone or something and then we go meet them in person. We're like going, whoa, <laughs> you're way different than you're I way different you than painted I, a different picture. It, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. you know, we've got our preconceived ideas of everything, you know, and it's so it's, it's well, you, liberating. You, to, you know what they say? So like today with online dating, right, yeah. they say don't wait too long to meet that person because what will happen is if you chat too long and you keep it an online thing, you're going to build up this image of that person in your head. And then when you meet yeah. them, you'll be let down. So meet as soon as possible so that that doesn't happen. That's good but, advice. Yeah, good advice for all of us married uh, guys. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man. Well, let's move on to a lighter topic. Um, what's the coolest shit you guys have seen recently? Um, I have hipjib.com. Did you check it out? I no, not no. yet. But <laughs> I'm gonna wait and go to the podcast. Okay, so yeah, I um I went to hipjib.com today and I saw this cool contraption. Uh, we're always looking for ways to get neat shots and in uh, without having to carry around a ton of extra gear. Basically, what hipjib.com is, um, go check out hipjib.com. Um, but it's like a, a wearable where um, you strap it onto yourself and it, it hangs kind of off the front. And it has this arm with a pivot, right? And you can put your camera on wait, the arm. Wait a minute. Time out. What? Yeah. You heard, you heard what I said. Did you say strap on? Strap it on. And it hangs off the front of you. Um, it protrudes. Uh, no. But imagine like a tripod. Uh, what colors a, does it come in? You know, all shapes, sizes. And rigidities. Um, <laughs> it's got a, it's got a, a, a hinge, right? So this thing goes up and down, and it's got another hinge on the plate for the camera. So essentially, this thing on you, you can start with your camera up here and lower it down. It's all it's straight the whole way down because you have this bar mm-hmm. that holds your camera for you. So is it called and a so steady cam? It's called a hip jib, <laughs> and um, it's like a steady cam, but it, it's attached to you, so it, it helps disperse the weight of the camera it, and get some of these cool shots. And is it for like more like DSLR kind of yeah, small, yeah lighter yeah. lighter kind of things? Uh, no, I mean it doesn't have a payload. Uh, like listed I don't think because it's yeah. not it's not like what a motor can handle it's it's literally like you're holding the camera but this is a a wearable assistant that helps you keep it on a straight plane and helps you with the weight of the camera. Cool. Um, it just looked kind of cool. And, you know, we're always looking for, like I said, for ways without an actual jib. Yeah. You know, how would we get a cool shot like that? Um, I think with a gimbal, you probably don't need this, but if you're not a gimbal owner, maybe you're coming from a steady cam or, you know, a glide cam kind of setup. Um, this would be a very natural extension of that. Kind of in the, the vein of, um, 
the easy rig, you know, for Ronins mm-hmm. and, and things like right. that. It helps support yeah. the weight. It gives you a little extra control. thought it was a pretty cool little gadget there. So hipjib.com. All right. I'll check it out. Yeah, no, I uh, I saw an uh, incredible uh, documentary that's in the theaters right now called They Shall Not Grow Old. Mm-hmm. It was produced by Peter Jackson, a Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing film. I, I My wife even went with me. I mean, she would never go to a documentary, but uh, essentially, just to sum it up very quickly, uh, it's a documentary on World War One, and the truly amazing thing about this is, uh, and you have to see the... Uh, Peter Jackson, he's the director, launches it. Yeah, and he, he starts off, he goes, yeah, you know, because uh, here the British Society of World War I wanted to make this film. And they wanted to do something with all, they had 100 hours of this historic World War I uh, footage. And he's like, he told him he, right up front, he says, I think you got the wrong bloke. You know, you got the wrong guy here because I don't know what the hell I would do to put a unique, uh, spin on this World War One footage, and said, "But let me let me go back to New Zealand, and uh, you know, let me think about it." So he went back, and he uh, he's got his own effects company there. So they they took some of the film with him, and they said, "What would it be like if we could?" Because the film's choppy; it's almost all hand crank kind of film. You know, it's 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 shrunk, it's beat up, it's scratchy. So in essence, it puts that distance away from you know, what we would see now as modern filmmaking. You know, it becomes this almost like surreal, artistic footage, the World War I footage. So he took it back, and they he gave it to his creative geniuses, and they came back and they said, Peter, take a look at this, what we got. And they essentially took this film, these, these film clips, and they turned it into what you would kind of see today. And it just oh. brings this stuff alive, because he starts to film out, and it's a bunch of the old clips and you're just seeing, you know, old, and it goes on a little too long with that, I think. But you see a lot of the old clips. Peter Jackson, take note. <laughs> <laughs> Chris has some notes And for then <laughs> he transitions into this modified, what, you know, what his, uh, his geniuses have done there. And it just draw, jaw-dropping. You're just like, oh, my God. And they colorized it, correct? Colorized okay, it. Yeah. And the motion was a big thing because, it, you know, these things were film hand cranks. So it's a variable speed. Mm-hmm. They were filming anywhere from 8 frames per second to about 16 frames per second. I used to do it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, incredible. Uh, you know, he had a limited release when they first did it, and it was like sold-out theaters, so then Warner Brothers picked it up, and now they've got a wide release. And it won't be in theaters long just because it's a unique kind of film. You're not going to attract a huge audience. but uh, And it's all in the voices of, of those guys that were actually there because – the BBC uh, in the 60s and 70s recorded all of the World War II vets that they could find, World War I vets, because they knew that they were all in their, you know, 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. 70s, 80s, 90s. So the, fil- the narrative on the whole film wow. is these guys talking about what was going on. And uh, not only does it bring you into that period of history, but you see just the incredible... Uh, horrors of war and and compelling footage of the way these guys lived in the trenches i mean it's just it's a it's a pretty amazing film i highly recommend it nice I'll have to check yeah it out. yeah randy coolest shit you've seen coolest shit you're gonna have to come back to me <laughs> you need to get out more often i do I, it's tough I'm busy this week. yeah so i Couple i saw weeks. something that was really cool the other day um and i'll put a link in the show notes to this um this this guy, I think it's a guy, 
made a video entirely made up by Google Earth imagery. Ah, yes. Oh. And it's kind of trippy. It's kind of yeah. psychedelic. It kind of messes with your head, but it is just brilliant. It uses, mm. you know, the natural shapes that happen in landscape from mm -hmm. agriculture to whatever and just it's mind-boggling how someone could even pull this off. Mm. One to come up with the idea and then to execute on it. It's just amazing. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Leave, and, a, leave a link for that because uh, there was a 60-minute spot recently where they were talking about just all of this global footage that's now out there. Even the Pentagon is using it. And I bet, and it's, and it's I don't know if it's open source or free source or something, but I bet the, the filmmaker yeah. may have pulled a bunch of this stuff from, it's, yeah. from that. I've actually seen like um, home renovation shows using Google Earth images for transitions. Hmm. So like brother versus brother, they're working at two different houses yeah. and they'll do like this pullback and then they'll move across town and go to this other house. Yeah. And it's, and, and it, I think they even credit Google, Google Earth for the, images or whatever but yeah. they're starting to use that more and more because it's like well you could fly a drone from one That's location to the other but it's like google's yeah. pretty much already done Especially that for so. a quick transition yeah yeah to show where you're have going you guys ever used it in your so. projects not yet yeah. uh, instead of there making be, there it actually could be some application in some of the upcoming sabinza work where you're yeah. going from germany to japan that might be kind of a Absolutely. cool pullback yeah. the globe and you know, we did yeah. that on a project, that very thing you're talking oh, okay. about. Yeah. yeah, and it turned out really well. Maybe I'll pick your brain on that. Yeah. yeah. Well, And then we'll have a podcast episode to tell you how we did it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a cool effect. Yeah. Let's talk about coffee for a little bit. So I spent 30, a little over 30 days um, detoxing, coffee-free. So sorry. And uh, it was interesting. You know, one, I got to the point where I was drinking so much coffee every day, and I just I, – I knew – or at least for me, I felt it wasn't healthy. Um, I'm, it, there's studies out there that support whatever you want to view coffee on, but I think generally the consensus is a little bit of coffee every day is not a bad thing, and it might even be a good thing. Um, but I just, in my mind, when I would stop drinking coffee for even a day, I'd get a nasty headache. And to me, that was my body telling me that something wasn't mm -hmm. right. So I, I wanted to break that. I wanted to be able to go a few days without having coffee and not have you know headaches. Um, so I had wisdom teeth pulled at the end of the year already was going to be a couple weeks where I w wasn't allowed to drink coffee anyway. So I thought I'm just going to go a month without drinking coffee. It's actually kind of one of my themes for worst this year. month of my worst <laughs> month. How long ever. did it take for the headaches to stop? Well, it was interesting. Fortunately, I was on, on, <laughs> I, well, for, for <laughs> timing. No. actually I ended up only taking What's ibuprofen, but I was taking ibuprofen for those first couple weeks after. And I think that helped a lot because I don't remember ever feeling any headaches, but it, it, as a side note, it's kicking off every month this year. I'm doing something for a month that is to develop good habits um, that will make me a better person. And so my my January thing was giving a up better coffee. Person than you. I, I thought you could you didn't you. Re replace the giving up coffee and replace it with bourbon or anything. <laughs> no, actually, I haven't I haven't drank in that would make seven a weeks better person as, as well too. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. That's the that's the theory. But anyhow, so I gave up coffee for a while. I came back to it. Um, it's interesting. I have a different relationship with coffee now. I don't want to drink it all the time now. I enjoy it as a treat every now and then now. Um, I did film my first like drinking coffee again after after all that time and and it is amazing how coffee makes you feel. <laughs> it yeah. makes it makes at least it makes me happy. 
Like you can just yeah. feel it wash over you and you're just like, God, life is good. <laughs> what kind of coffee are you drinking? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's an herbal it's blast. Good. It's an herbal blast. <laughs> They're yeah. putting it in everything now. You yeah. didn't coffee in Jamaica? You didn't know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You know, I gave up coffee for quite some time and I'm just now kind of coming back to it. Yeah. Yeah, because it was, it was effect, affecting me physically. I mean, I even had the jitters even drinking this, you know, one cup tonight. I'm just like over here vibrating. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it just it affects my nervous system. But, um, but I understand what you're talking about because, you know, it does affect you physiologically and cognitively. Yeah. You know, so you, you do get a high off the coffee. And boy, do I get a high off the coffee not being a regular coffee drinker. Yeah. But I've, you know... The thing that probably prompted me back to coffee was like just dealing with, you know, how it, it was affecting me phys- physically was I read uh, an article just talking about how it is so good for your brain. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and it's like some uh, recent study came out and it's like it's coats uh, neurons in your brain with the happy coating that just <laughs> protects it and, and everything. I was like, all right, man, I'm going back on coffee. I don't <laughs> yeah. have, I have to snort it, man. I'm going to ingest it somehow. <laughs> I can grind it that fine if you want. <laughs> <laughs> <My laughs> <grind laughs> go it might burn time. a little bit too. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, and I'm a I'm a daily coffee drinker, but I wasn't always, right? Um and you know, I I saw people drinking mug after mug after mug of coffee throughout the day and, and I've never really been like that with anything. I yeah. Mean, water maybe, but even I struggle to drink enough water every day. Um, so for me, you know, and some people ask me like, oh my God, how can you drink a coffee at nine o'clock at night? Yeah. I, I would never be able to sleep. And that's not really the case for me. I don't, I don't feel it like that. Um, and I go without coffee all the time. Like every time I travel, I'm not getting a double espresso every morning at the, at the Mm -hmm. conference, you know, continental breakfast. It's, it's the crappy brew coffee from a, from a pack you know what I mean? A, a yeah. Folgers pack or whatever. Um, and sometimes I'll drink some of that, you know, just as a breakfast drink, you know, because I'm not big on juice, right? The acid and juice gets to me throughout the day and whatever. Um, so it'd either be coffee or water. But um, yeah, I, like Matt, you know, if there's ever a point where I'm doing something and it starts to, f- I start to feel like it's affecting me negatively, usually it's a, that's when I'm like, I'm done, you know? So like with coffee, because I've never been, and I did make the mistake in my like, you know, practice latte art of like drinking four espressos and being like whoa that was too much you know what i yeah. mean and like i oh i can't go back now i have to ride this out kind of a thing like, <laughs> I, I, took, I took too much um but i've done that with alcohol too like uh. oops i've drinking too much and now i have to ride this out kind of thing so i you know with coffee um because it is a, a, a more than just the drink for me it's the process of preparing it it's practicing my latte art um and i drink expensive coffee thank you chris mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I drink expensive coffee, so like I couldn't drink four or five of those a day. But the other thing is because I choose my primary method of drinking it as espresso, that's also not something you can just have everywhere. Yeah. You need to have an espresso machine, and very few places have one of those just readily available in the office, you know, which is probably a good thing because then I probably would be drinking too much. I'd be like, that's, that's, I could go for an 11 a.m. espresso. Let's do that, you know, yeah. and I'd be four by the end of the day. So, well, you um, drink a ton of coffee, Randy. I mean, are you just like your first cup? You don't even feel it. It's like a... Yeah, how I, many cups I, until you're I, there? I could drink a double espresso and go straight to bed. <laughs> me too. Yeah. But that's the lead-in. Today yeah. was a very sad day for me. My espresso machine broke this morning. This, this very morning? This very morning. Yeah. Wow. 
That's an opportunity to get a better espresso machine. I'll help you start <laughs> yeah. shopping. I've used it every day for three years. I think you got your value hmm. out of it. Well, yeah, I, um, well, I haven't, I haven't looked into it yet. I have to see if I can fix it. Oh. Could just be cl- just need a good cleaning or something. Yeah, I'm going to talk to the man over here. Yeah, I clean get mine some pointers. every use. Not like every use? Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah, uh, because, I mean, coffee. Maybe that's what's wrong with mine. I'll it's been you, like six actually, months. I have, I have espresso cleaner like. <laughs> Way it's too much of cleaner. it. Uh, it it's called it's called Kafisa, and it's an actual like detergent. You put like this much in, so a teeny bit, and it does wonders. I, I've never seen anything clean so well, in, in my opinion. But coffee itself, with all the oils and stuff, yeah. you'd be very surprised how quickly it becomes something that you cannot just like scrub off. Well, the the so, clean me button that lights up has been on for like four to six yeah. months, I think. <laughs> yeah, so like my regimen every morning is I, I get out of bed and I go into the kitchen and I turn on you know our dimmable overhead lights so there's some light in the kitchen. I flip on my espresso machine and I hop in the shower. So when I'm done with my shower and a shave or whatever, you know, it's been 15, 20 minutes and, and now my espresso machine's heated up and I can go out there and I, I, I eat a bowl of cereal and then I make my espresso, right? Mm-hmm. And so by that time, it's 30 minutes, nice and hot. But as soon as I'm done... With my espresso before I even drink it, I'll sometimes take a picture of it, put it on Instagram. But then I'll set it aside, and it's it's rinse out my milk pitcher first, right? Purge my steam wand again, uh, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> tap, tap out. Yeah, yeah. Let's not get once, personal once in the here. Shower, right? once once information. This right. is a G-rated no, 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 but, uh, uh, podcast. Yeah, no. Um, and then and then yeah, I clean the group head, which you know is is the brew part. All of it, right, and, that's enough. Man, <laughs> who would have known that coffee had so many in your endos? Um, no, but I mean, I do. I clean it every single morning after I'm done using it. I do a, a full clean, which in an espresso machine is called a back flush. Take it easy, guys. Okay, I back flush the just, machine at I mean, least. I'm beside myself. At I least really... once a month with the cleaner and the detergent and stuff like that. I do a full clean, scrub the whole machine. But like the basic cleaning, which is like your steam wand, the group head, all that stuff, the tray, the drip tray. Every every oh, day Shams. after I use Randy, it. Randy, don't you just feel every terrible? Day. I mean, you've really just well, taken the like, whole neighborhood like, down. That's man. like taking some telling somebody that they are you know having somebody tell you that they clean their lenses with like their shirt. <laughs> you know, and you're like, whoa, don't do that. Yeah. You yeah. know. So I'll never hard. forget, I, I had a kid who worked with me at the call center, and he thought he was like a hotshot photographer. He actually did some headshots for me at one point. And um, I, I he was talking all big game of being a great photographer, and then he grabs his lens out of his thing, set down the lens without the lens cap on the table, and then picked up another one of his lenses and started cleaning it with a T-shirt. I was just like, okay, mm. good for you. I mean, you yeah. can, but I don't recommend it. Yeah. God, this was a family show. (laughs) (laughs) It used to be. (laughs) Oh, man. Let's talk about geeky tech shit. Um, Our topic this time is going to be film. Like, you know, real film. Old, you know, still or motion picture film. I think all of us, except Except Sean, have touched film and and came up, you know, through uh, actually using film. Yeah. where do you think film, real film, old film, whatever, where does that fit today? Is it just simply well, You have a to have novelty? the tech to find a lab to process it. Yeah, right. Or you do it yourself, you know? that That's that's one thing I have seen on the geeky tech side is like, um, you know, kind of do it yourself labs at home. And there is some effort and companies that are kind of trying to spin that up for people. Hmm. But is it just hipster fad? Is there a reason, Randy, that you would ever shoot a real piece of film again? 
Not anymore. Not anymore. How about you, Chris? You done motion picture film in the past? Yeah, I would uh, shoot Super 8 film. You know, okay. I mean, it's uh, that's the small, compact. Like, yeah, okay. right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Kodak uh, has continued to support Super 8 film. It, I man, I don't know how you'd recreate that with some kind of filtering. I mean, it's you, you could do it. Sure, but it's uh, but it's so fun to shoot it with a small camera like that too. What is it about it that is like uh, you'd have to recreate? Like, what is it? What is there a look about it, or is the it color, like the, the grain? Well, if you were to shoot Kodachrome, well, they don't really make Kodachrome. They make uh, what are they? That tri? What is it called? Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, it's the type of film uh, can be the type of film, but it's like right now Kodak has come back and they've taken their professional negative film. All right, and they package that stuff up, which for, you know, a Super 8 filmmakers, it's like, oh, my God, I've got, you know, 50D, 72, mm. whatever, 55, 72, 50, Kodak, 50D film, which is... Uh, How... Go ahead. And, and so, no, what it does is, uh, it's, you know, you've got all kinds of, uh, of what, what would I call it, like... Uh, Errors or problems introduced into the film that kind of give it energy. You don't have a, a solid registration. You know, you've got a little bit of energy, a little bit of a little, movement in, mm-hmm. t- in it. And what's great is it's organic. Yeah, and, That's it's, what's hard and you still have that replicate. film, that kind of very film organic look. Yeah, where you've got the, if you shoot like a Tri-X film, uh, black and white film, man, it's sweet. It's got all of the silver halide dancing across the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, we would look at it and go, gee, who turned the grain up, you know? Yeah, <laughs> or the but, gain but up. That's, the grain, but the gain. Some, that's what you want. Exactly. But I, I really How long sh- could you shoot on, on film? Uh, they're just 50-foot car- car- cartridges. So, so 50 they run feet would seven be minutes? Five, seven minutes? Uh, it's two and a half minutes for uh, 24 frames per second and wow. three and a half or something Imagine. for... So it's short loads. And is it expensive? Two and a half minutes yeah, is it expensive? Is. You got to, you know, because you can buy the film on Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. You can go to Amazon and buy the film. Well, I, I remember we would, we had a 30, it was an ours, we had borrowed it from someone, but 35 millimeter motion picture film shooting time lapses. Wow. Yeah. That gets expensive. Oh. Yeah. That's in a hurry. Like the all, what was the, all those films Koya Neskatsky and yeah. all those those were filmed with uh, thirty five millimeter motion picture film cameras as time lapse cameras. Yeah, that's <laughs> pricey. Yeah, very. That's crazy. So anyway, uh, yeah, film is uh, it's it's a uh, unique gives you a very unique look that would be extremely difficult to recreate uh, in video. Mm-hmm. So Sean, you're like millennial hipster. Oh man, yeah, totally. When yeah. are you gonna get your film camera? Uh, you know, it's funny because as you were talking about that, I started thinking the comparison on the other side is like people going back to um, to vinyl, and the argument there is, well, it just sounds better. There yeah. are tones in in a vinyl, you know, pressing of a, a record that you just can't get in an MP3 or even in a CD. And I, I could see that. I mean, with music, now granted, you're talking, do you have speakers that can even produce that tone uh, or headphones that you're listening to this on? That whole argument comes into play. It's kind of like why shoot 4K if you're not watching it on a 4K-capable mm-hmm. monitor kind of argument. But um, yeah, I, I do think it's different than the film thing. I think it would be much easier to go online and buy a record player and then go get some records and say, oh, I, I listen to vinyl now. It'd be so much harder for a filmmaker of today's making um, to go and not only learn how, but but act, get their hands on and then make their work 
using film. I think that would be a huge learning curve for somebody, well, and, and there'd be so many yeah. limitations very, that you'd it's say. It's expensive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now. that's a limitation. You'd say, there's so many limitations here. Why am I doing this again? Because I think it looks kind of cool, or because I'm a hipster, and I think, well... I don't want to be digital. I want to be a real filmmaker. And it's like but, what it boils down to is, again, we have this conversation and we say this every podcast. It's a tool. So, I mean, unless the film is doing something, like you yeah. said, that this is exactly what the client or the project needs or is asking for, and you will really not be able to get that same look digital, Mr. or Mrs. Client or project, we should have to shoot this on film but, if that's what you want. But there yeah. is another angle. Okay. There's, there's, I want to hear it. Because that's my perspective. There's that's my take on it, right? Physical permanence. Oh, like having it Archival. on film. Correct. Versus because you could always reproduce. The versus film, right? ones and zeros, and media mm-hmm. constantly changing. Would it, uh, but I mean, isn't there a super yeah, high risk of like? Yeah, definitely. I mean, of it's, like exposing your film to light by mistake, well, or then and that's completely destroyed. It's the same way as a well, memory card and temperature and whatnot. But it's yeah. still, but this is more, the, it's a physical. Yeah. It yeah. is. I mean, the, the the Peter Jackson film, you know, "They Shall Not Grow Old," is, uh, you know, that was shot in film a hundred years ago. That and film they, is one hundred years exists, old, and it, and it still exists and plays and, and is yeah, able to be turned yeah. into that masterpiece. You well, saw. because it's like the source media. You know, it's like you think of the digital projects we work in now. Um, you know what? You have multiple what, masters, but what, there's still ones and zeros, and they can mm-hmm. well. But uh, my point is, is like you might have that final masters located someplace, but if you had to go back and find your source media from another company or third company removed or whatever else, it's like, does that source media even exist? Um, you know, the the, the master's still there. You know, if it's an important thing that someone paid, you know, for this or something, mm-hmm. but. But yeah, I see. I would argue ones and zeros don't fade, though, and film right. yes, fades. That's right. You mm-hmm. know, so that shrinks, a, it fades. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that yeah, there's an argument on both sides. A, a super huge electromagnet could be blasted across the U.S. and wipe out every electronic in the world, and some sci-fi thing, and now all your media. But my film's still good. Right, nope. it's like, yeah. but then it gets too cold in your garage, and your film's fucked, and your, and your <laughs> well, your hard drive still works. You know, <laughs> so it's like, yeah. you know, which which yeah. way do you go? Well, but you have to, you're going to have to constantly keep up and change, on on the digital because the delivery method is going to continually change, whether it be spinning hard drives, um, solid state hard drives to. You well, know, it was the, taped, uh, CDs the, and Blu-rays. I mean, it, everything continually changes. Mm, yeah. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, but do you, I think where you might have been going with this, film was the thing that changed to to digital at one point. You yes. Know? So it's like that evolution is going to happen. It's, it's where you decide to put your feet in the ground and say, I'm not changing it again. Like people who say, I am not replacing my Blu-ray collection. Every movie I own is Blu-ray. Whatever yeah. they have after this, they can keep it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll just keep it, stay on Blu-ray. Or you're Matt and it's all digital. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you for know, sure. Whatever, but. I, I actually think if it weren't for the fact that I'm a vegan and, and I don't use animal products and film celluloid comes from, you know, boiled pig's feet or some shit. Um, <laughs> I did not horse know bones. this. Horse bones. <laughs> yeah, something. Um, I think it would be really, I would definitely shoot film just for, for fun and art, if you will, because I think the limitation of not being able to chimp your screen and look and mm-hmm. see and intentionally knowing, I've only got 24 frames, mm-hmm. you know, and it's expensive. So, yeah. y- you know, just those limitations, I think, would be very freeing as a as an artist. And, so. and then... 
extrapolate on that and go to a large format. Right. Which right. film which would be that fun does to, even more. Which would be fun to play with, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Slows you down. Yeah, think. absolutely. I think that, you know, you, that you're tapping into something there because, you know, the, the process was much more deliberative. Mm-hmm. You know, when, you ha- when it's expensive, um, re- you know, you don't have uh, unlimited film. You know, with digital, you could roll from here to kingdom come. And, to, what what mm-hmm. do they say? Hose down the scene. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you had to really kind of think about, okay, I've got uh, so many more minutes left on this reel. If it's like 16 or more professional format, like 16 millimeter or 35 millimeter, what is what in a thousand foot load? Is it uh, is that 10 minutes? No, he has more. It's got to be more than that. Uh, like in a 35 millimeter, thousand foot I load. 400 feet was like nine, 10, 11 minutes, but it's been a long time. Yeah, that sounds way, that I yeah 400 feet. That's that's not that much. Because isn't that a normal film mag on 16 is 400 feet or is it a thousand? No, 400 is your normal load. Yeah, you're gonna be getting lots of emails. Seven minutes. Shit, you know what's man. going through yeah. my head right now yeah. is that scene in Wayne's World where he goes to Cassandra's video shoot and he goes, "We all know that there's no film in these cameras," and <laughs> opens the window and all the film just starts <laughs> looping out and it's giant pile on the ground. That's just so you know what's going through. Yeah. This guy's head. It's that. Well, I remember. Well, Sean would have to learn how to use yeah. one of those little handheld things called a light meter. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know. They reinvented that for the iPhone, you know. Do you, you know plug what it the... in your headphone jack, and then there's an app that'll give you readings. That's pretty cool. Really? There's oh, an app yeah. for, there's I don't an app know how for expensive that. it is. It probably isn't very accurate, but they have one. Huh. Wow. Here's one for him. Does he know the Sunny 16 rule? The Sunny 16 rule? I don't even uh, remember what the Sunny 16 rule was. Yeah, tell us. Yeah, please regale really? us. Really? Yeah. Sunny 16. Right, when it's bright, sunny day outside, set your camera on F16, and you, whatever ASA that you have, or the new guys say ISO, I think. Yeah. ISO, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and that's what you set your shutters to be, too, and that will give you a... Good exposure. Ah, sunny 16. Yeah, there we go. It. Now we know how Randy exposes. So. <laughs> Bam. Oh. He checks the weather first, then exposes. <laughs> well, podcast. gentlemen, Every I don't think this is. One. I don't think this <laughs> is getting better. So let's let's wrap this up. As always, it's a pleasure to sit down with you guys and talk about our craft and drink some coffee and talk a little shit. For those of you brave enough to listen to this podcast, please make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Share it with your friends and colleagues. And if you can, give us a little love on iTunes by rating and leaving feedback for this podcast. And lastly, go out and make something. Happy Valentine's Day to our wives. Sorry, we're home. Oh, nice. Yeah, what he said. Filmmakers and photographers dream.